Passion is undignified. That's where we're going to land this whole entire series. Passion is undignified. And for us to be the safe place, to let people be undignified, because we have to let people feel safe to break down before we can see them in their breakthrough. And I believe this is what we experience. And so this is Old Testament, so this is not New Testament. Um, but I do believe that it reflects Jesus' heart. Because Jesus, the Bible says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. It's that passion that led him. It's that passion for you that led him to endure the cross. And here we see David. Let me give you the background real quick. I know I touched this last week, but just in case you missed it, the ark of the Lord was coming to David. And the ark of the Lord, you know, sometimes we teach it negatively. We teach it as though that the ark contained God's presence. God cannot be contained in a box. Can I get a bigger amen than that? He cannot be contained by this room. He cannot be contained by a stage. So the Bible actually says that his presence wasn't in it. The thing that was in it was like the Ten Commandments and a rod and that kind of stuff. The Bible actually says that he said that's on the, on the mercy seat that sat on the ark. He says, I will meet you on the ark. The ark was just a meeting place. It wasn't his presence. And so they were bringing the ark and God... The way he meant it back then, he was trying to teach us reverence, and the ark was, was supposed to be carried. Everybody say carried. But like American Christians, we got lazy, and we put the ark on a cart, and somebody put the hand on the cart, and he died. This guy named Uzzah died. He probably died when his parents named him Uzzah, but he, <laughs> he died, and and, 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 and that story, you know, a lot of people, oh, man, that teaches just a wrathful God. No, the, the whole, look at it historically. It was just teaching this reverence towards God. And God said, don't put me on anything mechanical. I want to be carried with you. And so they were pulling him in on a cart. They are pulling the, cart, uh, uh, the ark on a cart, and he touched it. He died. And then this is what the Bible says earlier than what we're about to read, that David was first angry. Everybody say angry. He was angry about what God did to Uzzah. And then the Bible says that he was afraid. He was afraid. And that's something that God even did in my life this week. Because I'm like, I'm a passionate person. And God's like, no, you're just angry. And under anger is usually fear. Under anger is usually fear. And so David felt this way. And, he, and then he literally said, the presence can't come to me. Because, like, he had some hidden stuff. And he's like, I, if I touch that, can you imagine how embarrassing, how embarrassing would it be that the presence of God is going to come to me, I touch it, and then I die? He's like, don't bring that thing over here. So the ark resides in somebody else's house for a little bit, and then he sees that his house gets blessed. And David's like, oh, hold on. God's blessing him? No, 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 bring it over here now. I want it. Ain't that crazy that this guy, maybe he wasn't perfect, but he gave a testimony and example of God's blessing that inspired David. So then the ark starts coming to David, and David starts worshiping. Something broke free in David. And in this moment, we see him kind of break down and go a little crazy, and he became undignified. And this is where we're going to pick up. Who has your Bibles? Nobody. Second Samuel chapter 6. <laughs> As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. Real quick, a little context on Michael. Number one, I wish they didn't name her Michael. It's my name. 
Um, but she was married to David, and then her father, her father Saul, gave her away to somebody else. And so now he got her back. Because back then marriage was transactional, right? They used, you know, fathers would use their daughters as a transactional thing um, to, to, to gain wealth. So, so Craig, is, you're in abundance, buddy. You are rich in his favor today. And so, and you still have some left. So talk to him after service if you want to make some transactions. I'm kidding. I just made you like a spiritual pimp. What is wrong with me? Um, <laughs> so Michael's back. Okay, I want you to put yourself in that. In that and then my, my wife's just nodding in disappointment. But Michael's back in his life, and she's watching him worship from the window. And this is where we see her, right? He's leaping and dancing before the Lord. And watch this. She despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark and the Lord, and they set it on its place inside the tent that David had pitched for. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. So he's continually worshiping. These are just more acts of worship. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offering, he blessed the people. He blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among them all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat. It's not a church service without carbs. And a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed. Then everyone left. Everybody say everyone left. Everyone left, each to his own house. And David returned to bless his household. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. You over there dancing before the Lord like you belong to Chippendales and you need to just get your life together right now. And I don't like the way you worship. And did you consider, did you consider how this looked? Is what she's basically saying. And David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I love that. He said, it was before the Lord. In other words, I wasn't worshiping you. I wasn't trying to get your attention. I wasn't trying to get their attention. This was before the Lord. This was before the Lord. Now, mind you, everyone left. And he's still worshiping. And I will celebrate before the Lord. And I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. Other translations say more undignified than this. And I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you had spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. The message version says it like this. David replied to Michael, in God's presence, I'll dance all I want. Oh, yes, I'll dance to God's glory more recklessly even than this. And as far as I'm concerned, I'll gladly look like a fool. I'll gladly look like a fool. So here we see this man being undignified. And so the big question that we started off last week was this. Is there anything you're not willing to do in regards to your worship of God? Is there any, don't go there, zone. I'm not going to kneel, I got bad knees, and it's raining, hello. I'm not going to raise my hands, that's what those crazy charismatic people do. I'm not going to fall on my face, I'm not going to sing this song, the lyrics are corny. Is there anything you're not willing to do in regards to your worship of God? 
And whether, maybe your answer is right. I don't know. I'm not going to have that theological debate. But the point is, like, and this is the big point. Limited worship reveals a limited view on God. Limited worship reveals a limited view on God. That's why we're taught to worship God in, in trials and in tribulation, right? Some of us, we can't worship God when the temperature's off in this room. Right? Steve and I, we go through the struggle with this, man. It was like 69 degrees, it's too hot. 67, too cold. You better hold it on 68. Because the tithe is going down. No, I'm kidding. But we struggle in that kind of stuff. And so, like, when we have limitations, it just review, it reveals a limited view on God. And when, when I choose to worship God, even in the bad times, it changed my perspective. Praise will change your perspective. Praise will change your perspective. And so the question that we ask is that, what is it that I'm too embarrassed to do? What is it that I'm too aware of myself to do? A great quote from a pastor, he says this, that self-consciousness is actually the enemy of worship. When I'm more, and, and John 3 says this, he must increase and I must decrease. That is the life we live. And that is the life that we must choose on a daily basis if we're choosing to live passionate lives. Y'all getting this this morning. And so we discussed a couple points last week, and I'm going to finish it off this week, that when I prioritize, when I prioritize dignity, and when I say dignity, substitute, just for this morning, substitute also self-preservation. Self-preservation. The Christian life should not be marked by self-preservation. I hate it. I hate it too. But we're called to carry our cross. We're called to love one another. Is that not what the Bible says? It's called to love one another. No greater love is this, that a man lays down his life for the other person. So we, we, we're not called to self-preserve. We're just not. And, and, and one of the realizations that, again, I have is that we don't trust that he is my shield, that he's going to protect the things that need to be protected, and he's going to be my healer. That's what we don't trust. Let's call it what it is so that we can actually grow in it. Let's call it what it is because we can actually go on it. I do not trust God. I, I admitted that this week. There are certain areas in my life that I don't trust God or there are certain areas in my life that I don't believe he's going to heal. And the beginning, the beginning of most of your healing journey is going to come from true confession. And to just say it, say it because we're dancing around it and it's there anyway. I struggle with my trust in God, and when I, if I'm going to get hurt again, you're going to get hurt again. All my vintage people, all my vintage people know, you're going to get hurt again. It's inevitable. But do you trust him enough that he is going to be healer? And if we're called to be people of the way and we're called to represent him, then we're also called to his suffering. But... I know that's like doom and gloom, it's raiding. What the heck are you doing, Pastor Mike? But we have victory because he is the healer. We have victory because I can still be whole. I can still be whole. I can still have him hold my heart together through all that. And it brings me closer to him. And it's a testimony to others that it's going to be all right. And so if when we protect our dignity, if we go into self-preservation, the first thing we do is that we have restrained worship. 
Restrained worship. And again, to get to that place in our lives where it's like, we're minding our worship. It could be really distracting. And sometimes we just don't know stories. I, I shared the story of, there was a boy up here who sung a few weeks ago and some people didn't know. And it's like, you know, what's going on with him? And we didn't realize it, that he's on a spectrum. And, and I hear you. And at times I'm like, well, someone should explain that. And like, no, I'm not going to come up here and make him wear a label. He says I'm on the spectrum, right? He's on the spectrum. And we didn't know that either. And we had a dialogue with their parents and, and now, man, like to see, my wife and I were almost in tears watching him sing before the Lord, undignified, unrestrained. A person that you would think maybe he's incapable of it, but he was fully capable of worshiping his God. And we get distracted all the time. And I confess my sin that we were at the district conference and I'm watching everybody go all crazy and charismatic. And in my head, I'm wondering, is that real? Is that fake? And what is it? And, what is it? and we're trying to, everybody has the gavel in their hand. What's real? What's fake? What's real? What's fake? That's not your lane, boo-boo. This is not your lane. So mind your worship. And most of us, too, we're judging ourselves in worship. Right? And this is what we say. I don't want to worship because I'm being fake right now. I don't feel it. Right? And we talked about this last week, too. If my wife asks me for help and I don't feel like doing it, but I do it anyway, does that make me a fake husband or a good husband? Ladies, say amen. That makes me a good husband. Did I do it beyond my emotions? That doesn't make me fake. That makes me obedient. So we're like, oh, I don't, you know, don't want to fake it till I make it. Bro, don't. Yeah, I called you bro, all y'all. <laughs> there are moments where you're not going to feel like loving. You're not going to feel like worshiping. So we lean on obedience and let the feelings come after. But that's how we have that restrained worship. Second thing, what we do when we try to maintain di dignity or, or self-preserve ourselves, we have this thing called partial surrender. We just surrender some of it, not all of it. And this is what we see. Now, some theologians argue with this. Was David truly naked? Was he dancing in his underwear? I don't know. It, he just took it off. He took it all off, right? And I don't want to make that moment normative, okay? So clothing is not optional here at Fervent Church. All right? That was just a moment in history, all right? That's not the way the Lord wants us every single time. But metaphorically speaking, he took it all off. He took it all off. And at times, we don't take it all off, right? You, we say, God, you can have this, but you can't have that. God, you can have my time, but you can't have my money. God, you can have, have my family, but you can't have my friends. I need to be this separate person over here than I am with my family. And we compartmentalize our faith, and it doesn't work. It's never worked. I tried it. I tried it 50,000 times. I tried it different ways, and partial surrender does not work. He took it all off before his Lord. The third thing is delayed obedience, and I showed a video clip of this comedian who is mimicking middle schoolers. Any parents of middle schoolers? You know, you ask your kid to throw out the trash, and they take their time, and they finish up whatever they're doing on their iPad or on their iPhones. He said, do it now. Gosh, I will. And they're delaying their obedience. And we talk about how delayed obedience is still disobedience. And I think we have spiritual, forget baby Christians, we have spiritual middle schoolers in the house. 
where God told us that, hey, forgive. And you're like, I will in five years. All right, so here are the last four. Here's the last four that we're going to do. So next one. Um, we try to maintain our dignity uh, with something that's kind of uh, connected to the first, the, the one I said prior to this, but unless forgiveness. We have this unless clauses in our lives when it comes to forgiveness. Here's a crazy thought. The Bible says, we read that Michael was unable to have children. So maybe the thing that really jammed her up wasn't even like about his worship, but how his worship pushed a button on her hurt. Can I say that again? His worship pushed the button on her hurt. Why? Notice what her focus was. You're dancing around naked in front of these servant girls. These young girls that are probably capable of having children. And I'm not capable of having children. It's amazing that you're most critical you're most critical towards the things that have the capacity to hurt you. Am I right or wrong? You're most critical towards the things that have a capacity to hurt you. So she had this, like, she, she didn't want to, now mind you, how crazy, he could have turned around and be like, I don't want to hear your mouth. You left me for a minute. You're with another man. You're lucky you're in my palace, right? He could have had that Jerry Springer moment, but he didn't. He, he, he just worshiped God. He was focusing on God. But for her, she was hurt. She was hurt. And before you're angry, you are hurt. But she had this unless thing. Well, unless you worship the way I want you to worship, then I'll be satisfied and then I'll be happy. But she was miserable within herself. We talked about this last week too. Like, be careful, be cautious, taking advice from miserable people. She had this unless forgiveness thing. And maybe identify that in yourself. You, do you have an unless thing? Because here's what the Bible says. To forgive as, we're, as we've been forgiven. To forgive as we've been forgiven. That is hard. That is hard. I acknowledge that. I've been forgiven tremendously. And so I have to dish that out. I have to give that away. And isn't that what we saw David do? He was so blessed in that moment when he was dancing before the Lord that the Bible says that he blessed the people. I think that's the true, the true overflow of worship isn't dope services. The true overflow of worship is when we go out and bless people. Next one, potted, when you preserve yourself and preserve your dignity, we have potted plant faithfulness. Now I wanna be really careful because uh, if you've been churched, when people talk about being planted in the house of God, that's usually like, a part of a giving campaign, right? Or they need volunteers and start preaching about being planted in the house of God. Or the worst is when they, they're trying to create a culture of loyalty, right? And let me help you out. Loyalty, whenever somebody starts teaching or preaching on loyalty, run. Loyalty should never be demanded. It is earned and given. It is earned and given. But David knew something about being planted. And we're not gonna find it in this story, but he, he, he authored a lot of the Psalms. Anybody read the Psalms? First chapter of the book of Psalms. Why y'all laughing? 
Chapter one, watch this. This is David writing, and he said this. Blesses the man who walks in the counsel of the ungodly, who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. I like other uh, translations say scoffers, critics, those kind of things. And he says this, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. And watch this, verse three, he says this. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaves also do not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. There's this concept of being planted somewhere, but I think in our American context, what we've learned is because we do want to be a living organism and we do want to bear some fruit, but, but being thoroughly planted means that you have to actually be faithful and stay put, put for a while. But instead, what we want to do is we want to be potted plants. And when I've been a potted plant in my life, here's what I found out, that potted plants can't handle storms. I just don't. But if I'm called to bear much fruit, then I need to be deeply rooted somewhere. Now listen, again, I promise you, this is not a ploy to get you to stick here, give here, volunteer here, or anything like that. What I am saying is this, that you are never going to find a perfect place. But in order for you to really live out faithfulness, you have to stick around long enough to see fruit. Because the truth is, you don't bear fruit in every season. Can I preach for a second? Like, some of you here, you feel like you've been buried under the church. But I'm here to tell you that you might not bear fruit right now. But if you hold on tight, in your season, you will bear fruit. You're not, you're not a buried seed, you're a planted seed. But you have to stay planted. Single people, you cannot practice a long-term relationship in a series of short-term relationships. Come on. That's like me. My, my wife signed us up for a stupid 5K on Thanksgiving. <laughs> she didn't ask for my permission. She asked for my forgiveness. And thank Jesus I didn't have an unless clause, Right? But like, that's for me, like, that's like me training for this 5K, just getting up and walking around the block once every day. Will that work? Absolutely not. But that's what we do. We're trying to practice longevity and we're trying to practice being a person that's in it for the long haul, but you cannot be a potted plant. You got to stay put. Because when you stay put, it puts you near the water. And listen again, we're not perfect. We're not. If you don't like organized religion, good. We're not organized. We're working on it. And honestly, like, some of you are like, well, you don't have to like everything. I don't like everything here. I don't. I don't like everything here. But there's an element of faithfulness that you grow. That's a, that's a lesson to learn. Faithfulness is a lesson to learn. And you cannot practice that in a series of short-term bursts. And we're, we cannot be this potted plant just moving around whenever, where, to wherever we look pretty. But to be planted and to endure all the seasons in life. Because in one season, I will bear fruit. And it will be a beautiful thing. Last two, when we self-preserve or maintain our dignity, I think we have this thing called spotlight servanthood. Where we only serve God when we're in the spotlight, when people can see it. And yes, David did it in front of everyone, but he also waited till everyone left. And he did it all the more. 
And I believe that his heart didn't care about the audience at all. He did not care about the audience at all. He did not have the spotlight servanthood. And I think that's what we do. We only serve if we're getting seen. We only serve if we're getting credit. And, and I know that sounds hypocritical because right now I have a microphone and light, there are lights in my face. But however, I believe true ministry, true ministry happens Monday through Saturday. It happens Monday through Saturday. It does not happen Sunday afternoon because your boy's napping. But Monday through Saturday, I'm a shoulder to cry on. Monday through Saturday, I'm counseling. Monday through Saturday, I'm getting into the mess with people because that is what we're called to do. And no one sees that, but that is the heart of a servant. That is the heart of a servant. And last one, when you maintain dignity, if our priority is to maintain dignity or maintain self-preservation, we desire pain-free giving. We want to give and it not hurt. There's a term in scripture that I never quite understood and it actually bothered me if I'm really honest with you. It's the term the sacrifice of praise. Anybody who's been in church for a real long time, right now you're just thinking of the song. I'm not one of those preachers that just like has a nice voice that I can just bust out and sing in the middle of it. But remember, it's like, we bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. We, I can't find the key, but you help me. <laughs> right? We, you, we, bring the, we bring the sacrifice of praise to the house of the Lord. Why is it a sacrifice? Why is it a sacrifice? Because most of what we do is not pain-free. It costs Salvation is free, but this life of discipleship and this life of loving others, it cost us something. It cost David something to worship God like this. Think about it, think about it. Can you imagine the locker room talk? Because remember, King David was a warrior, right? Can you imagine his fellow soldiers? Did you see Twinkle Toes David the other day? For real, he put down a spear and picked up a tutu. Twinkle Toes David. Dancing before the Lord in his underoos. I, that thought, I don't think that thought came through David's head. I don't know. It's, there's nowhere in the Bible. But like he, he, either he knew it and was willing to bear that pain or he didn't care about it. All we know is that he did it. He, he had to understand that it cost the opinion of his wife. Maybe it did cost the opinion of people. It said that everybody went away. And it was, it's hard to complain when you got bread in your mouth. That's what we should do. Just give everybody, you want to complain? Here's a piece of bread. Shut up. <laughs> and all that stuff cost him something. And I think to, to us as Christians, to us as people of the way, giving is very rarely pain-free. Because we bring the sacrifice of praise before the Lord. We bring it, the sacrifice of praise before the Lord. That is what we're called to do. It is hard. It is hard. But he deserves it. He does. He deserves it. I've reconciled it in my heart that like he doesn't have to do one more good thing in my life to deserve my praise. He doesn't have to do one good more good thing. He, people could could abuse me, could talk negative about me, and he still deserves my praise. 
Can we be a church that we have reconciled that, that, that whole entire thing that he deserves my praise because he's a good God. He really is. He's a good God. And sometimes I'm too selfish and sometimes I'm too self-absorbed and sometimes I'm so stuck in my self-preservation and my dignity that I don't see it. I don't see it. But if we're really called to live passionate lives, then I have to choose to see it every single day. They have to choose to see that his mercies are new every morning. They have to choose to see that life is worth it and people are worth it. And you're broken and I'm broken and we're all in this together. But there's a savior. There's a savior that loves you. There's a savior that adores you. There's a savior that put everything on the line. Everything on the line for you. That he deserves it. He deserves the sacrifice of my praise. So again, whether I'm on the mountaintop or the valley, whether I'm climbing or I'm declining, he deserves my worship. He deserves my worship. No more partial surrendering. No more just like, you know, we're just going to confess and surrender the public sins, the things that everybody sees. I'm going to... I'm going to confess the, even the secret sins. No more partial surrender. I'm going to give the whole thing away. My critical heart, I give it to you, God. My jealous heart, I give it to you, God. Those are the intangibles. You can't really see that, right? I'm going to give it all, complete surrender. I'm no longer going to restrict my worship because unlimited wor- limited worship reveals a view of a limited God. And you are not limited. You are not limited. And when it comes down to it, what am I willing to do? I will be more undignified than this. In my worship. 